0: Well, David's no longer in the wilderness. We saw that last week. God has been pouring out his blessings on David's life so much so that last week I said, perhaps David wrote the 23rd Psalm in response to what God had been doing for him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me beside quiet waters. David is just rejoicing. That after so long in the wilderness, so many years, God has just opened up the floodgates of heaven. But of course, not being in the wilderness doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. Bad things continue to happen to David and it happens in this chapter. It comes really at an unexpected time. And something very difficult happens to David in this chapter that comes from a very surprising source. Let's look at the, the story beginning in verse number one. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bela of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, who was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him In the city of David, instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Anybody else here besides David confused? I mean, here's this guy, Uzzah, who's walking behind the Ark of the Covenant. The oxen stumbles. The Ark is slipping. He reaches out his hand to steady it, to keep it from falling, and God strikes him dead. I mean, really, what was the other choice? Let it fall? Who's going to pick it up at that point? I mean, this is a natural human response. The Ark of the Covenant is in front of me. It's about to fall. It's almost like you could think, well, if this was David, God would be right in how great he was. That he wasn't legalistic about this. That he actually did something. But Uzzah, he simply reaches out to study the Ark and he's struck dead. That's a bit confusing. Not only is David confused, he's angry. Now, some people want to defend David and say, well, he's angry with Uzzah. Or he's angry with himself. Really? Are you angry with Uzzah? Are you angry with David? No, he's angry with the Lord. The text says the Lord struck Uzzah dead. David's angry with God for doing this. I mean, if the point was that Uzzah had some hidden sin in his life that he wasn't telling anybody about and David was just upset that this guy who was a sinner was near the ark, well, he would have just brought somebody else up there and said, "Okay, well, Uzzah, he got what he deserved. Now we need somebody else and let's keep going. But he doesn't keep going. He doesn't want anything more to do with the ark. He basically says, look, I don't want this thing in Jerusalem anymore. Obed-Edom's house seems to be the nearest house to the path on, And he's like, well, look, just send it there. Just get rid of the thing. It says he was not willing to take it to Jerusalem anymore. He's angry with God. The ark is representing God's presence. David doesn't want it around anymore. And think about it from David's point of view. 30,000 men have gathered for this. They're not on some other business and oh, by the way, let's take the ark up. (laughs) This is why they've come. They've come from all over Israel. It's a big journey. Many of them have walked for many days to get there. David summons them all. They've got this huge celebration. They're trying to do one thing, take the ark from where it is (coughs) to Jerusalem. And they're praising God and it's this amazing event. And if everything had gone well, this could have been one of the historic days in Israel's history. And right in the middle of it. God strikes, it dead. And you know, it's not like they continue on. So imagine David's shame. He's got to stand up and send everybody home. Sorry, we tried. I mean, what a downer. I'm thinking to myself, look, Lord, we're trying to do the right thing here. We got all these people here. We're worshiping you. Really? You couldn't have just let it go this one time. You couldn't have just overlooked this. You couldn't have had Uzzah get some sort of secret sickness and die like two days later. You have to strike him dead right here and kill the whole thing. I mean, it's over. I mean, I imagine that this is probably like what the people who were involved with that missions trip from this area to Haiti uh, a month ago or a couple of months ago in which those four short-term missionaries died. If I'm leading that trip, I'm probably thinking to myself, really, Lord, now you do this now. It happens right at the beginning of the mission strip. And then what I have to do, I got to cancel. I mean, who's going to do a short term mission trip when four of the people from your group just died? They just have to simply pack up and go back home. If I'm leading that trip, I would be angry with the Lord. Really, Lord, you had to do this now. You couldn't have done this some other way. No, David is angry with the Lord. How do we make sense of this? How do we make sense of what's happened here? Well, this is often the case in First and Second Samuel. The key to understanding what's going on comes in the characters. In Second Samuel 6, there are two named characters who are major characters besides David. The first is Uzzah. Now you may think, well, we don't know anything about Uzzah. We actually know more than you think. The first thing we know about Uzzah is this is not his first time around the Ark. In fact, he grew up with the Ark of the Covenant. It's been at his house. He's been around it his whole life. He's very familiar with the Ark of the Covenant. It wasn't like they just had a lottery and said, "Okay, who's going to walk behind the Ark? Oh, maybe that guy should. No, he's the one who's lived with it. His family has been in charge of the Ark for many, many years. It's been at his dad's house, Abinadab's. And he's grown up with it. Second thing we need to know is that the Ark was never supposed to be on a cart. The Mosaic law is clear. There's a way to transport the ark and it's not using a cart. Levites carry it on poles. Why do you think God wanted the ark carried on poles? So it wouldn't fall when oxen (laughs) slip. So this exact situation wouldn't happen. So the question is, if the Mosaic law is clear, it's supposed to be carried, what's it doing on a cart? I think it's Uzzah's idea. If it's not his, it's his family's idea. Because imagine this, David is going to show up at Abinadab's house. This is the family who has lived with the ark for a long time. I'm imagining he's going to ask them, okay, look, we got to get this ark from here to Jerusalem. How do we get it there? I think Uzzah suggests putting it on a cart. Why? Because that's how it came to their house. Remember the story all the way back in first Samuel seven, where Israel was trying to manipulate God by dragging the ark into battle. They lose the ark. And where does it end up? Philistia. They think, oh, great. Israel's God we will put him in our temple. He just keeps knocking everybody over. Remember that? And then they go, well, let's move him to another city. And every city he goes to, he brings plagues where he goes. And finally, the Philistines catch on. They're like, this is a bad idea. Let's send him home. Now they don't know how to how to transport the ark because they don't have the Mosaic law. So they get together some religious leaders and like, what do we do with this thing? Well, nobody knows, so they think, Well, let's put it on a brand new cart. Maybe if we built a brand new cart and didn't use somebody's old cart to transport it, but a brand new cart, and let's not send it back empty. Let's, let's, let's put a bunch of gold uh offerings in there. And so they send it, and where does the cart go to? Abinadab's house. Now, the Philistines don't know any better, so God is more than willing to allow them to put it on a cart and no oxen stumble in that trip. Abinadad and his boys, the last time they saw the ark move, it was on a cart. So when David shows up and says, how do we get this thing transported? I think it's Uzzah and his family that says, well, we've seen it done once before. It was on a cart. But that means that the whole time the Ark of the Covenant was at Uzzah's house, he never once, I mean, this is years, years, decades, he never once bothers to read the Mosaic Law about it. He He doesn't show any interest in this thing whatsoever. I mean, the most important piece of furniture in Israel's history is right there in the living room and who's a never bothers to do any research to look into it to study it to know anything about it and the picture that emerges here is of a man who's overly familiar with god he's overly comfortable with god god yeah he lives in the living room i've got my room that's god's room over there he's comfortable with who god is having god around that's no big deal it's the ark of the covenant what's the big deal so when the oxen stumbles and he sees the ark slipping, Uzzah's like, it's just the ark. I've been around this thing forever. And he reaches out with his hand to stop it. And what God is angry about is that overfamiliarity, Being too comfortable with who he is. Uzzah thinks, what's the big deal? It's the ark. I'm going to stop it from falling. And God says, there's a problem here. Now, there's a second named character in the story. We've not met her yet. But the way the story works is after Uzzah is killed and David is angry and he has to send everybody home and he goes back to Jerusalem empty handed. At some point, he realizes we've tried to transport this in the wrong way. He was angry with God. But 1 Chronicles, which is the parallel story, tells us that they figure out, you know, the problem is we we listen to Uzzah. We didn't actually read the Mosaic law. And Chronicles says we should have inquired of the Lord. He would have told us how to move this thing. Now, I know they know how to, I know they figured out how to move it because look in verse 13, it's very subtle. But after three months, they transported it again. So verse 13 is the next trip. First trip, Uzzah dies, send it to Obed-Edom's house for three months. Now they're going to take it again. Look in verse 13. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord, okay, they figured it out. They had been transporting it incorrectly. Now, on this second trip, as they're bringing it into Jerusalem, we pick up the story in verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now, Michael is not only Saul's daughter. This is also David's wife. Jump down to verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. There are two dead things in this passage. Uzzah and Michael's womb. And they're connected. Uzzah represents those who are overly familiar with God, who are overly comfortable with God, for whom God is really no big deal. He's just part of the religious fabric. Michael represents the same thing. God belongs in the religion. That it's fine, but you want to stay dignified and respectable when you're around God. God's not the kind of person that you lose your inhibitions for. He's not the person that you get passionate in worship. For Michael, God simply belongs to the religion. And there's a place for religion. Michael and Uzzah are religious. Their view of God is that he should be nice, neat, dignified, respectable, and safe. But if Michael and Uzzah are spiritually dead, it's David who's spiritually alive. He's the one who's interacting with the ark and God's presence, not as some religious object, but as an actual person, as the actual God of the universe. David is the one who is spiritually alive. He is the one who is worshiping before the Lord with all of his might. Now, the question is, what does this have to do with the issue of anger? Let's try to put the pieces together. When we think about people moving to a place of being passionate worshipers of God, we sometimes have in mind a sort of linear progression that people go through. I've drawn a little graphic here to try to illustrate what I'm talking about. We think that, say, to your left over there, that where people start is they, they can be sort of angry with God or resistant towards God or afraid of God. After all, David is not wanting the ark anymore. He's in this position of being resistant towards God. And then as you move from the left to the right, there is sort of a next stage or a next group or next whatever of people who are respectful of God. They're comfortable with God. They're respectful of God. They're no longer angry with him. They've moved to a point of saying, "Okay, look, fine. We'll sort of uh, we'll, we'll be okay here. Then the third stage, again, moving from left to right, is that at some point, then people would become committed to God. This is where they're actively trying to serve him, where they're dedicated to him and devoted to him. And then the fourth stage would be sort of being passionate about God passionate about worship, not just serving, not just doing the right things, but engaging with God in a passionate sort of way. And perhaps in our minds, we have this idea that you sort of start at the left and you kind of work your way to the right, passing through each of these stages until you get to passionate worship about God. But the problem with this is that the people who are respectful of God, Uzzah and Michael, They don't end up as passionate worshipers. Instead, it's the guy who's angry with God. He's the one who ends up as a passionate worshiper. Which means that this progression that I've drawn up here is probably not linear. It's probably circular. That what happens is, the opposite of being passionate about God is being complacent about God that a passionate worshiper the opposite is not being angry with God the opposite of being passionate about God is being comfortable with God being familiar with God being dignified about God being respectable when it comes to God that's the polar opposite we say the same thing when we say the opposite of love for God is not really hate the opposite of loving God is apathy Just not caring. Hate God can deal with. Apathy is a problem. Michael and Uzzah are spiritually apathetic. They don't really care. And the way this works is, is the opposite of passionate worship is apathy. Which means that anger is somewhere in between. That anger can actually be a pathway to becoming a passionate worshiper. Now, how does it work? Well, notice on the circle that anger, being angry with God, is not passionate worship of God. Those are two two different places. Okay? And there is a danger when you're angry with God that you can actually slip down into being apathetic about God. How does this work? Well, at some point you begin to go, look, fine, if it's going to be this much trouble to get this ark to Jerusalem, who needs it? I mean, this is what David is saying in verse 10. He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. His anger with God has a real danger of slipping down the circle into apathy. To say, look, if it's going to be this much trouble, really, fine, I just don't want to deal with it. I've been there. I've been there when you've been so angry with God, you think, I don't want this pain anymore. I don't want this discouragement. I don't want this disappointment. You know what? It's easier. It's easier to just steal yourself in and not care anymore. Fine. Let God do whatever he wants to do. I don't get what he's doing. I'm going to do what I want to do. You can feel that way about Mozambique. Fine, Lord, if you're just going to keep flooding the place, you do what you want to do. We're going to do what we want to do, and we'll just get on with it. There's a real danger that anger with God can slip into apathy. I mean, it's not like David's ever going to curse God. But what could very easily happen is he could move to a place where God's just part of the religious furniture. God's the guy you talk about. The ark is something that, hey, fine, it's over there. But there's another choice with anger. It's in between. It's possible for anger to be a pathway to which, by which David becomes a passionate worshiper. How does that happen? When you're angry with God, you actually fix your attention on Him. Mm-hmm. That when you're angry with God, you think about God, you engage with God. See, anger with God is actually an expression of faith. Because you believe that God exists, And that what he does matters. Or you wouldn't be angry with him. Now, it's not the ideal. The ideal is passionate worshiping God. But anger can get you there. And this is how it works. When you fix your attention on God, and you're angry with him, and you express your emotions, and you engage with him, pretty soon, the longer you engage with God, you begin to realize, wait a minute, this God is the source of all blessings in this world. That's what happens to David. Look in verse number 12. David's about to slip into apathy. And verse 12. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Because David is angry with God, he keeps his attention on God. And pretty soon he begins to notice, wait a minute. God's blessing Obed-Edom. And he's not blessing me. See, it's not like things in Jerusalem are going fantastic. And things at Obed-Edom's house are going fantastic. And David was like, hey, we got a good, they got a good, praise the Lord, let's go. No, 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 no. Nothing good is happening in Jerusalem. And David, because his eyes are fixed on God, sees that good things are happening with Obed-Edom. And that leads him to the point of becoming a passionate worshiper Of God that David begins to realize wait a minute maybe we did something wrong maybe we were transporting this thing in the wrong way maybe we didn't understand what was going on maybe what God was so angry about maybe he was angry about that familiarity and that comfortability and the fact that David's probably hitting himself saying why did I listen to Uzzah why didn't I read the law and find out how to transport this thing maybe David begins to realize Hold on, what God's trying to do in Israel is he's trying to get rid of the attitudes of Uzzah and Michael. And that if he had let Uzzah live, nobody would have dealt with the problem of being too comfortable with God. See, it's his anger that keeps him engaged with God long enough to begin to see who God really is. See, the main point from this morning is this. God is the one source of blessing in the universe. But he's bigger than we are. His plans are beyond our plans. We don't understand what he's doing. Which means that there are times that he's actively trying to bless us that we don't get what he's doing. We don't see it. And that leads to anger. It leads to frustration. And we think, God, just do it this way. I could see that. God, just show up and do this. And we get angry. But God can use that anger. And that if we stay focused on him long enough, we'll begin to see the plan unfold. And we'll begin to see what David saw, that God is the one source of blessing. And it might dawn on us that the same holiness that required that Uzzah die because he was too familiar and too comfortable with God, that same holiness is what brings blessing. The reason why Obed-Edom was being blessed in Jerusalem wasn't is because God is holy and he was in with Obed-Edom and not in Jerusalem. And it begins to dawn on David that this same holiness that David hated about God that made him angry. That was actually the pathway towards blessing and that the worship that took place on the second trip to Jerusalem was so much fuller and deeper and passionate and uninhibited because God had dealt with. The issue of comfortability, familiarity, and the sort of disdain for God. I told you at the beginning of the sermon that I know what it's like to be angry with God. I know what it's like to yell at him. I know what it's like to just cry out and say, come on, why? Why does it have to be so hard? But in God's mercy, he used that anger to keep me paying attention to him. Long enough for him to be able to begin to reveal something broader. And at the end of that experience, I engaged in passionate worship of God. Some of the most passionate worship I've experienced as a Christian. That's how this works. Now, it's not just David, not just me. Moses gets angry with God. When he's got the children of Israel out in the middle of the wilderness and Moses says to God, I didn't ask for this job. I didn't ask for these people. How in the world am I supposed to feed all these people here? Lord, why did you do this to me? You should have killed me instead of bring me out here. But his anger with God keeps him focused on God long enough that he's able to see God do an amazing miracle. Where a bunch of uh, a bunch of meat is brought into the middle of the wilderness to feed these people. And water is given and Moses ends up worshiping God his anger is a pathway to worship that same passion that we put into anger can be redirected towards worship Job gets angry with God he loses his kids he loses his possessions he loses his health he's angry with the Lord but for an entire book we see his anger keep him engaged with the Lord And as a result, he gets to the point that at the end of his life, the Lord blesses him more at the end than he had at the beginning. And Job worships God. Habakkuk is angry with the Lord. He's angry that God would allow Israel's sins to just go unchecked. But in his anger with the Lord, as he yells at God, God reveals himself to Habakkuk and shows him the bigger picture. And at the end of the book of Habakkuk, he falls down and worships the Lord. That's what we're talking about. You see, the reason why anger is better than apathy is anger is still passion. It's misguided passion. It's misguided because we don't understand the whole thing. We don't get the big picture. We don't know all that's going on. But God is like, I can work with that. He doesn't get mad at David for being angry. It's so interesting to me. Uzzah is dead for apathy. David is fine for anger. He doesn't get mad at Moses. He doesn't get mad at Job. He doesn't get mad at Habakkuk. All he says is, look, be passionate, but let me show you what I'm doing here. And if we keep our eyes focused on God, then we will see the blessings of God. Because God is nothing else if not the source of all blessing. And even in our anger, if we keep looking at Him, the result will be blessing. That's why when it comes to the situation in Mozambique, the circumstances certainly would make one angry. But I can say without a doubt that if we stay engaged with God, If we keep watching, if we keep praying, if we keep crying out to God, if we keep begging God for justice and mercy, if we keep saying to God, how is this fair? How is this right? Are the righteous not being punished here? If we keep engaging with God that way, we will at some point see the blessings of God. We'll see the bigger picture. And at that point, the passionate worship that will happen will be far greater than if God had simply not allowed this to happen in the first place. And that's the promise for you too. That if you're here today and you're experiencing anger with God, disappointment, frustration, there's a danger. Anger can turn into apathy. You can say, well, just forget, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm not waiting for God anymore. He let me down. He's no good. He's not worth... He does his thing, I'll do mine. It's too much pain. It's too difficult to pray and to pray and to pray and get no answer. I'm just going to leave him alone. Let him do his thing and I'll do mine. There is a real danger there. But if you're willing to see it, God will allow that anger to turn into passionate worship. That as you stay with your eyes fixed on him, that he'll say, I've got a bigger plan here. My ways are not your ways. You don't see it yet, but stay with me. Even if you're angry, stay with me and you will yet see the blessings of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, who is like you? If somebody got angry with me the way that David's gotten angry with you or the way I've gotten angry with you, I would have struck him dead. But Lord, you are merciful and you're kind. You are long suffering and oh, Lord, you bear with us. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that there's so many people in this room who have been angry with you, who would live to tell about it. And there are so many people in this room whose anger has turned into passionate worship. God, certainly your name is to be exalted above all names. What other God is like you who can take anger and turn it into worship? God, we do believe you are the source of all blessing. Lord, we are simply holding out hope. That in Mozambique, you will bless them in a way that we can't even see. And so, God, we want to continue to wrestle with you. We want to continue to pray, Lord. We want to give. We want to be involved, Lord. We want to continue to say, why? Please, God, bring mercy and justice. But, Lord, I also pray for those who are here this morning who are experiencing that same level of anger. at something going on in their life. God, would you keep that anger from turning into apathy? And would you bless that anger and allow that passion to be something that turns into passionate worship of you? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.